It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a busy, busy show to get through today. we got Mark Thiessen at the top and maybe the best Pentagon reporter uh, in the country, Jennifer Griffin, giving us the latest from Defense Department and the other disaster, which is Afghanistan. Tomorrow, the president will meet with G7 leaders. That should be fun. He should get blasted, deservingly so. He's left everyone out. Uh, he's left everyone out in the wilderness, especially our Afghan allies, especially our allies and NATO allies that have fought with us for the last 20 years. They have been uh, they've been uh, uninformative, uncooperative, and now the Taliban are holding us to the 31st, August 31st deadline to get out. I have news for you. You're a superpower. What are we waiting for them for? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Whether you talk to someone who has two years on the job or 22 years on the job, they'll say the same thing, that we've never seen this before. And agents are frustrated and, frankly, they're upset that they're not allowed to go out to the field to do the job that they were hired to do. That is uh, an ICE agent. He used to run all of ICE. And now he understands what's happening at our southern border. Thoroughly broken down. Morale plummets. Number of illegal surge. Is Joe Biden trying to destroy the country? Number two. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing for a vote this week on the president's $3.5 trillion budget resolution. But a group of moderate Democrats won't even consider that until the House takes up the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill the Senate passed. Unbelievable. Uh, that is Julian Milley telling us the latest on the $3.5 trillion. Yes, they partied like rock stars out in California over the weekend while pro- pledging to Jeb to jam $3.5 trillion down in a reconciliation package down all of our throats. It's a package we can't afford that moderate Democrats don't want, that liberals are insisting of, or they won't pass the $1.2 trillion, which we really can't afford, bipartisan package, but many would argue we need. This is flat-out un-American. It shows a detachment and arrogance I've never seen before. We'll discuss. Number one. The evacuation of thousands of people from Cumble is going to be hard and painful no matter when it started, when we began. There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see on television. And, and you are heartless in saying that, and nothing could be as bad as you have pulled off. And whoever thought we were going to dismount from a country this arrogantly, uh, this, uh, this ineptly, deadline not extended now. Taliban say they want us out next week. Or else it's a red line. Really? A red line? Men in moccasins who we crushed 20 years ago in three weeks are giving us a deadline? you got to be kidding me. Secretary of Defense Austin, you fly in thousands. You push back that perimeter. You take back Bagram Air Base. And we decide when we'll leave. Let's bring in Mark Thiessen. Mark, I am beyond my, uh, beside myself, and I've been watching and reading you all weekend. I know you are, too. Former chief speechwriter for W. Bush, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, fellow with American Enterprise Institute. Mark, put in perspective how bad we look on the world stage and how perilous this situation is. So, I mean, Secretary Austin said the other day that we'll stay until the clock runs out or we run out of credit, uh, capability. I mean, I'm sorry. We're the United States of America. We set the clock. 
we do not run out of capability. We'll, we, the answer is we'll stay as long as it takes to get every single American out and every Afghan ally who risked their lives and is going to face death if we leave them behind. And we're not leaving until that's done. And we're going to do anything and everything it takes to accomplish that mission. And we're not leaving a second before. And if the Taliban tries to interfere with us, we are going to blow them to smithereens. It's that simple. I don't understand why we can't get somebody in our government to say that. Yeah, uh, we are the superpower. We give billions of dollars to the Defense Department. We fight every single day to get them every dollar that they need. And he says, we'll see what we can do. And Secretary of Defense General Austin says, we'll see how many people we can get. We can't literally leave the wire while the British and French and Australians and the Dutch are leaving Kabul airport to get their people. We won't. In fact, we sometimes prevent them from going themselves. We have to bring back retired Army and Navy and Marines to help escort our people and give them paths studying satellite video to Kabul airport where they still might lose their lives. Two-year-olds are being trampled, and they say we're doing our best. It was never going to be smooth. What is going on? Well, and then Biden says the other day that, uh, well, if we had planned this a month, they had done this a month ago, it would, nothing would be different. Are you kidding me? Of course it would be different. We would be in control of Kabul. There would be no Taliban outside the airport. We'd be do, running and we'd have, we wouldn't have to be hiding behind the wire. We would be able to organize this evacuation carefully. Uh, the, I mean, just the, the, the lies that come out of this guy's mouth. I don't even know if he realizes he's lying. He's completely unawares. He said the other day that no one in his national security team pushed back on this strategy. First of all, if that's true, um, then, you know, the, 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 fire the, them all. security team, fire them all. But if it's not true, then that means that, he, that, that Biden doesn't remember. I mean, he's literally not aware from week to week what his team is telling him. He says there's no al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. Is he kidding me? I mean, he said we had no troops in, in Syria. But, you know, and th this is the thing, Brian, that people don't understand. So, so Blinken was on the air this weekend, and he said, and he sort of, he wouldn't acknowledge that Biden had misspoken, but he said, you know, that there are al-Qaeda remnants in Afghanistan. People don't remember. When Biden, Biden is the guy who presided over the disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Iraq in 2011. And back then, John Brennan, the CIA director under Obama, said that al-Qaeda had, uh, that ISIS, it was al-Qaeda in Iraq, which became ISIS, they had been decimated. And there were only 700 adherents left. And we pulled out, and within short order, they had built a caliphate the size of Great Britain. They were, they were burning people alive, crucifying people, drowning them in cages. And they spread their murderous tentacles around the world, and they carried out 149 attacks in 29 countries that killed 2,000 yep. people. Does anyone remember the, the uh, Charlie Hebdo attack in Paris? The Bataclan yep. nightclub where 189 people were killed? Do they remember the bombing of the Brussels airport? Do they remember the, the attack on the Canadian parliament? I mean, this, this spread all over the world as a result of our withdrawal. And the same thing is going to happen in, in Afghanistan. The, the, the Afghanistan only, is only now they're controlling the government. They never got Baghdad. But they, they, yes, they've exactly. got Kabul. This is worse. This is worse. So I want you to hear what Anthony Blinken said. Uh, hey, Mark, I want you to hear what Anthony So for yeah. people that didn't watch the Sunday shows or couldn't bear to watch, 
Anthony Blinken, the worst Secretary of State ever, and you point out that John McCain called it in 2014 when he was nominated to be Deputy Secretary of State that he's the worst in your column in the Washington Post. Here's, here's what Anthony Blinken said about the president saying al-Qaeda is not in Afghanistan. Cut seven. The president Please. said al-Qaeda is gone. Simple question. Is al-Qaeda gone from, Pakistan, uh, from Afghanistan? Al-Qaeda's capacity uh, to do what it did on 9-11, to attack us, to attack our partners or allies uh, from Afghanistan, is vastly, vastly diminished. Is it gone? Are there, are there al-Qaeda uh, members and, uh, and remnants in Afghanistan? Yes, but what the president was referring to was its capacity to do what it did on 9-11, and that capacity has been very successfully diminished. You don't have to define what the president said. We heard him. He couldn't, he was, couldn't even answer. Wallace was relentless. Here's Lloyd Austin on the collapse that was not predictable. We found out it was predicted by an official on the ground in Kabul. Cut 20. I know the president has said that the intelligence absolutely did not show that anybody, that the Taliban could take over in 11 days. What, what's the earliest you were aware that that could happen? There were assessments that ranged initially from one to two years to, uh, to you know, several months. It was very difficult to predict with accuracy. This all occurred in a, in a span of about 11 days. No, nobody predicted that, you know, the government would fall in 11 days. That is not true. Is he lying there or clueless? Uh, one or both. I mean, it's entirely possible both. I mean, that Lloyd Austin has absolutely, like, wrapped himself in ignominy, as, as has General Milley. Uh, they're not pushing back on these people. You know, I remember for all for all his faults, I was no big fan of, of Jim Mattis, but he put his stars on the table and resigned over 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 uh, Trump's desire to uh, pull out of Afghanistan. You know, where are the where are the adults in the room now? You know, we always, the media celebrated all the adults in the room during the Trump administration. Yep. And the reason was, quite frankly, that was that was, a, that was a derogatory phrase that the media used. But you know what? Trump surrounded himself with people who disagreed with him, who would give him contrary advice. He, so he, he hired H.R. McMaster. He hired John Bolton. He hired uh, Jim Mattis. Um, you know, and he and sometimes and he listened to them. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he didn't. But it, but it, you know, he, if the generals told him you're going to have a disaster if you do X, he would pull back. You know, they're, they're, the reason Joe Biden doesn't remember that there's still 900 troops in Syria is because Donald Trump left 900 troops in Syria against his desires. He wanted to pull everybody out, but the military told him if you go down to zero, it's going to be a disaster. And he didn't want to have a disaster. He didn't want to see America humiliated. So he left 900 troops. He left 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Um, you know, and the, where, are they, where are the adults in the room today? Is there nobody who's willing to go into the Oval Office and say to the President of the United States, Mr. President, this is going to be a disaster if you do this, and if you, if you go against my advice on this, I can't carry out your orders. I'm going to have to resign. Why is nobody willing to put their stars on the table to prevent this kind of debacle? It's unbelievable. You know, it shows, too, people want to say he's old or he forgets things. But Joe Biden's always been a knucklehead. He's, his instincts have always been wrong, and he's too arrogant to admit it, always. So yep. people want to say, well, yep. he, he lost his fastball. No, but you go back to 2006, he thought he that. In 2003, he says, we want to rebuild the country. In 2008, he's saying, do not surge. And then he held Petraeus, kept 10,000 troops from Petraeus, maybe 15,000, as he tried to take over from McChrystal, who was his staff got caught putting down Joe Biden. So he gets fired. Petraeus comes in. They surge troops, and before they could finish the surge, they pulled troops out. Here's Robert O'Brien on the reality 
and he was the national security advisor for Trump, did a brilliant job on the reality of what Trump was willing and not willing to do. Cut 35. The president made very clear he did not want a Saigon-style exit. Uh, he did want to move troops out of Afghanistan and put them in the Pacific, and that's another thing we need to make sure we do to, to, to deter the Chinese from building a massive navy and, and putting the United States at risk. But he also said, I don't want a Saigon-style retreat from Afghanistan. And, and he knew that, and General Milley knew that, and, and, and that was our policy. We, we wanted to, we, he didn't, the president didn't want to leave any equipment behind. In, in Afghanistan, and we've left yeah. billions of dollars. The taxpayers have paid billions of dollars in this equipment that's been left behind. The Taliban's going to be one of the best equipped armies in the entire world, not just in the region, but in the world. Think about this. We have to start blowing up our Humvees now from the sky. Uh, immediately, $85 billion worth of hardware there, and they said they never predicted this. Now, let's think about this portion of it, Mark, and help me through this. We decide under Trump we're not going to give them air cover, so the Afghans going to be fighting alone. And then we decide that we're going to start pulling back. We're down to 2,000 troops. So they're not getting air cover. They're getting decimated. And the Taliban are allowed to move on the Afghan troops, but not on us. So they begin to focus and make progress. My sense is Trump would have seen them getting closer to Kabul and that the, uh, at his ego would not have let Kabul fall on his watch. He would have stopped it. So when we all we had to do, why is it so hard to predict if you give a an outmanned army who is never 300,000, if you take away their air cover and their commanders, which are Americans, just like in Iraq, the commanders were Americans. That's why ISIS formed and had success. When we went back in and showed them the leadership and gave them their backbone, they went and fought like warriors again. The same thing would have happened again. But they missed it. This is what they do every day. How could they miss this? So you're 100% correct. And look, the difference between Trump and Biden, everybody, the Biden administration keeps trying to say, well, this is Trump's policy. It's like, I'm sorry, Trump had a conditions-based withdrawal. It was based on conditions on the ground. He would, and the, the Taliban violated the agreement that they signed with Donald Trump. They were, they were, they were violating it every, on a daily basis. The difference is Joe Biden said, we're getting out no matter what, which gave the Taliban a green light to launch the offensive that they did. And, you know, the, the, here's the thing I, do, I just don't get, Brian, is that, you know, so every, Biden says, well, we got Osama bin Laden. And so now oh. it, it was time to leave. You know, yes, we got Osama bin Laden, but there's tons of other people who are behind him in the chain of command. You know, three years later in 2014, we handed oh, we stopped fighting the war in Afghanistan. We handed the combat mission over to the Afghan army. And for the past six and a half years, they held the Taliban down with our help. Yeah, they they they, they, had, they took sixty thousand casualties, sixty thousand. Okay, we were losing on average seventeen Americans a year, uh, we, you know, which is terrible. But you know what? We we lose seventeen Americans here at home in in training acts, training and other things like yeah. that. I mean, it, 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 being in the military is a dangerous job, whether you're at home or abroad. And we were the the Afghans were doing the fighting for us. What better position could we be in than to have indigenous forces who are willing to fight and die against our enemies and all they need is air support mission planning and intelligence and, and i'm going to end mark and i could talk to you for an hour we're going to take that deal we're going to we're just going to hand it back to the people who attacked us on 9-11 that's that's what and, the Biden administration did it's unbelievable and and this is the problem and we could go for this for an hour with your knowledge and depth on this information but and i'm up against a break if you told yep. the american people if you just said you want to get out of afghanistan they'll say yes 
If you say, and while we're in Afghanistan, I'm going to give you a map and I'm going to show you the blotches. This is where the terror comes in. If we leave, look at how big the terror blotches get. If the Taliban are able to get this country, look how dangerous they'll become and more dangerous that uh, and our uh, our cities will be uh, will become. You explain to the American people, they'll get it. Because we were doing something productive there. We weren't building a country. We were stopping terrorists from getting a country. And now we forgot to tell the American people why we're there. And now they're seeing it. We don't need an explanation. I'm not talking about a Madison Avenue cell job. I'm talking about reality. Mark Thiessen will read you in the Washington Post and watch you all over Fox News. When we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What's your message to the America's partners around the world who have criticized not the withdrawal, but the conduct of that withdrawal and made, it, made them question America's credibility on the world stage? I have seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. That is the biggest joke I've ever heard. How could he be so clueless? The guy that says no troops in Syria. Al-Qaeda is not in Iraq. Our work is really done since 2011, at the same time saying that there's a real terror threat against our army men and women, as well as our evacuees and Afghan allies at the Kabul airport. What do you think? Those are friendly people just looking to blow us up by mistake? And the, uh, the world community is outraged by it. Uh, flat out outrage. If you look at the, some of these quotes from NATO, if you look at some of these quotes, uh, if you also look at some of these quotes from Tony Blair, the former prime minister, he talks about our credibility being dropped. Now you have screaming matches between the British officers and American officers because the Americans are not allowed to leave the wire and the British are going out to retrieve their people. You have the secretary of defense, Austin, saying we hope to get our people out. We don't really know where they are and how many they are. you got to be kidding me. Everybody knows that America's a laughing stock. China is dancing 
uh, on our grave in Afghanistan, and Russia is rejoicing. And what really hurts most is our allies need us. There is nobody for them to turn to. From Germany to France on down. And Macron blistered Biden. And that came out, too. So he, that's a flat-out lie, or he forgot. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think uh, this, what we're seeing, and what we've seen in the last few days, is it's the greatest foreign policy disaster that I have seen in my lifetime, of any nature, from any Western country. And I would go so far as to say that this is the most disastrous foreign policy event since at least the Second World War for the United States of America. Yeah, but Joe Biden says it's always going to be messy. And uh, sadly, I don't actually think he's spinning. I don't think he cares. This is the same heartless guy that sent his drug-addled son to do international business deals when you know anybody who's been addicted to drugs or alcohol, the worst thing you could do is put him in high-pressure situations. Uh, that is Colonel Richard Kemp, former commander of British forces in Afghanistan, telling Mark Levin exactly that. You know I feel that way, and I think you feel that way. But to see a British commander on the outside, an army man from the outside, look and see what we see, who's been on the ground and knows the ramifications is unbelievable. Keep in mind, Europe is fresh off seeing the carnage in Syria and the massive migration to their borders. They knew this would happen in Afghanistan. They fought for us when we were attacked. They wanted to stay. We left anyway. So, I I mean, for him to say, I have not seen our allies express displeasure, Tuesday he talks to the G7. There better be some information to come out of that that shows the allies speaking truth to what's once powerful. You know, I don't care about politics right now, but if you see his personal approval rating drop below 50% in NBC polls, it was at 60%. If you see about his competence in CBS, look at this poll in CBS, and I'll get to the calls in a second. By the way, hop on the line, one 866 Jennifer Griffin in about seven minutes. Uh, Biden's actions as president, competent in April, 56%, now 49%. Focused in April, 56%, now 48%. Effective, 55% in April, now 47%. Biden's handling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, 47% approved. You should be ashamed of yourself if you approve of this. That means you have no standards for America. His overall job approving for CBS is at 50 uh, and for according to this, the another poll found that 63 percent of Americans supported withdrawing from Afghanistan, 47 percent approve of Biden's handling of the pullout. 13 point drop. I mean, who could support this? Stan, listening on the Fox News Radio app in Arizona. Hey, Stan. Howdy, Brian. Um, I'd like to ask the one question is if you wanted to destroy this country. What would you do any different than what the Biden administration is doing? If you look at energy, you look at the education and CRT, you look at crime and defund the police, you look at the border. Kamala is doing a great job down there, according to the Biden administration. 
and especially Afghanistan. That is the best way to humiliate the United States on a national stage I've ever seen. And it all comes from Barack Hussein Obama. He's the happiest man on earth today. Well, I, I can't tell you that. I don't have any sources to say that, but it's it, it, an idiotic move to have a 60th birthday party uh, on Martha's Vineyard. Showed you where his head at. Do you know there's a surge on the virus there? I love the way you said that, Stan. If you went out of your way to destroy the country, you couldn't do anything different. Let's let the border become a sieve. Let's spend ourselves uh, at, into oblivion. Let's put $1.9 trillion, pass it on a pure party-line vote, and the money's not needed, still not spent, but it's already out of our withdrawal. We, we're on overdraft, okay, on, a, on a over a trillion dollars, and we added that to it, okay? It's $1.9 trillion. Now the $1.2 trillion. $540 billion of new spending, bipartisan, we could debate that. But that's the least of our problems, whether there's too much green in that and not enough tunnels and bridges. We could debate that. Those are the good old days. We're about to get $3.5 trillion jammed down our throats. There's nine moderate Democrats standing in our way trying to save the country. And evidently, Senator Manchin says, when it gets to the Senate, I'm not passing $3.5 trillion. You can be critical of these moderates and these senators all you want and say they should do more. No, they're, they're saving the country because... They blew Georgia, and they got majorities, slim majorities, in uh, both chambers, and they have the White House. And then if you figure about everyone's getting paid not to work, the supplemental work insurance, and then you're getting paid, don't worry about paying rent. Who cares about student loans? They're trying to break the American system right before our eyes. It's nuts. But the Afghanistan thing, do not take your eyes off this because they are counting on America having ADD. This is just a news cycle. Soon we'll get the people out and we'll forget about Afghanistan. No, they're not. You know why? Because the war on terror is back. It was down flat on its back. We were bombing the hell out of it. We were pushing them back. We were beginning to get Israel was actually getting allies in the region. Iran was isolated. China was being confronted. And I am not thrilled with everything Donald Trump did. I never would have talked to the Taliban in a million years. I would have held that presence there and educated the American people on what is happening. Right now is exactly my point. Daniel, listen on WJRB. Hey, Daniel. Good morning, Brian. Daniel, how you doing? Good. You're over in Georgia. What's on your mind? Yes. um, First of all, you played uh, camp and uh, Colonel Kemp, and uh, I also listened to Kellogg yesterday. And uh, I agree with Colonel Kemp that uh, Biden should be court-martialed. There are a couple of things going on that uh, he obviously is getting his instruction either from um, Obama and people that uh, are trying to destroy America or else he's getting his instruction from the CCP. Uh, through a payoff, like, um, you know, he's the big guy that uh, his son was talking about. Uh, this man is destroying America. He is a traitor. We've we've heard him lie. And uh, he needs to be removed. I guess the thing, I, and I've I would love it. I would love it, but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know they got the majorities. We can't even stop this reconciliation package, let alone get rid of an incompetent president. He sits up there so confidently, and everything he says is wrong. Uh, Everything he says is wrong. Our people are able to get to the airport with not much of a hassle. 
Next thing you know, within two hours, we're, it's so dangerous, they say shelter in place. We don't know how many people are there. No one ever predicted they were going to fall this quick. Um, we've got to get out. The American people, oh, it goes on and on and on. And I don't think there's enough, there's enough uh, staffers to spin him back to reality. Either he's flat out lying or he's clueless. Neither way uh, does make me sleep better at night. Uh, when we come back, uh, the latest from the Pentagon, what we're doing on the evacuations, what we're doing about expanding the perimeter. Is there a chance to take back Bagram Air Base? And what are we going to do now that the Taliban have flat out said we will not extend the August 31st departure for the American and allied forces? We need more time. We should demand more time. Jennifer Griffin next. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from Albany, New York today on 1300 AM and 98.7 FM. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. But if you think about it, we've been at war for about 20 years. So we have, you know, a network of folks who have been in country, you know, for random, uh, you know, periods over those 20 years who have people who trust them. Uh, we have experience kind of navigating government bureaucracy. So we're short of acting as a force multiplier, uh, per se, in terms of uh, helping to get people information and then uh, being able to, to bring them to the right folks to, to help, uh, to help uh, extricate them. This is heartening and aggravating. That is Alex Plastiskis, and I apologize if I mispronounced his name. He's the leader of the digital Dunkirk. And all these vets have gotten together, about 100 of them, and are helping people inside Afghanistan using satellite photos and their technology to weave their way to the Kabul airport because so many checkpoints are choked off and monitored by the Taliban. And it's so dangerous for Americans. It is chaos. Nobody has to tell Jennifer Griffin that. She's been reporting it. Uh, she's a Fox News national security correspondent. You see her all over the Pentagon and actually knew, knows the merit of staying in Afghanistan, how it's keeping America safe. And we're watching that all fall apart right now. Jennifer, um, what do you, do you feel, number one, what's your reaction to these vets getting together to help people on the ground? I think it's incredible, and we've seen it's the best of America. And what I'm actually seeing, though, is many of these veterans groups uh, are still – reliant on the U.S. military and the, the contracted planes that the U.S. government is providing to get their people out. So what's amazing is seeing the veterans groups uh, organizing the people into safe houses, Americans as well as SIV holders, as well as some Afghans at risk who may not have started the SIV process yet. And they are finding roots. They are helping them navigate with real-time information. They are getting the phone numbers and the contacts, but they are still reliant on the U.S. government. And I have seen some heroic efforts by um, unnamed and will remain unnamed bureaucrats within the Pentagon and um, particularly the Pentagon who are really trying to facilitate and coordinate with the, the so-called digital Dunkirk. So there will be a lot of, um, a, a lot of 
unknown people, uh, heroes, when this is all done, who um, will have saved a number of lives. Unfortunately, the effort right now is so stalled, so backed up. Uh, the the crush of people outside the airport, the inability to get through, even if uh, people have paperwork, it's it's really devastating to watch. I've been on the phone all weekend with with trying to coordinate between veterans groups as well as uh, the uh, you know the U.S. government and other people that I know are helping to try and deal with the backlog. It it is devastating for anybody who has spent any time in Afghanistan. I know it is ripping the hearts out of our veteran community, and it's so important that they know that there's a hotline to call if they are feeling mentally strained. Uh, we've been posting that hotline online, um, there, but this is a, a, a devastating time. Brian, I received a video this weekend of a ally of the American military, a lieutenant to a a well-known an intelligence officer who had worked with U.S. troops at Bagram, and this video was an execution video of the lieutenant of the intel officer who is an American ally. It was sent to that Afghan intel officer who is in hiding, moving from place to place, trying to save himself, seven children, and his wife. Um, the Taliban are, came to his door, were trying to kill him. They sent him the video of his lieutenant being killed from that dead lieutenant's telephone. That's the kind of brutality that is awaiting those who are left behind, who worked with the U.S. government, and it is very, very disturbing. It's, uh, and I know you're being measured and using the word disturbing. Uh, our reputation's been sullied forever. If you think Vietnam was hard to shake, uh, this goes beyond, uh, beyond that, in my humble opinion. But guess what came uh, just hours ago? First off, on an unrelated note, uh, we understand the Pfizer vaccine is the first to get full FDA approval. For those waiting on that to get vaccinated, uh, go get online. Uh, but, Jennifer, now back to this. This morning we wake up to find out Reuters reporting has been confirmed that, and now we see it on video, that the Taliban have refused our request, our request in close quotes, to extend the August 31st deadline to get our people and our allies out. What is the U.S. reaction to that? Well, I think that there are ongoing negotiations. I think that the U.S. is uh, going to be working very, uh, working through the Qataris and the Pakistanis to, to try and influence that decision by the Taliban. But the Taliban are, frankly, the least of our problems in Afghanistan right now. What I've been reporting on this morning is the ISIS-K members, the ISIS-Khorasan group, who, who want to uh, embarrass the Americans on the way out, fire on and push the Americans out faster, Al-Qaeda, who are still on the ground. They, remember, at Bagram Air Base, there was a prison there, Brian, with uh, more than 4,800 of the hardened Taliban fighters, as well as 1,000 ISIS-K members, as well as 500 Al-Qaeda. They were released when the government fell. They are the ones who are now... A, giving a shot of adrenaline for al-Qaeda and others who want to. Um, we saw at the gates today outside the airport there was a sniper that fired on on the uh, U.S. troops and German troops guarding the base, and, and a firefight ensued. Uh, we don't know who that Afghan was. Was it somebody who felt betrayed that the Americans were leaving, a trained sniper that the U.S. had trained? Was it uh, was it Taliban? Was it ISIS-K? Was it al-Qaeda? You choose. But the number of terrorists who are, who are 
likely to begin targeting the airport where you have 18,000 refugees on the tarmac and American Marines and 82nd Airborne trying to get the backlog of people out of that airport. It is a it is a ticking time bomb right now. The military knows it, the president knows it, and the question is, how are they going to get the pipeline moving of those who deserve to be uh, evacuated without losing more American lives? So we've here we've all, a lot of these military experts out there, and, and one I really appreciate who has a lot of who's doing a lot on the ground is Michael Waltz, and he says the only way to do this right is uh, you tell the Taliban we're taking back Bagram Air Base. You get in there within 48 hours, you reestablish it, and at the same time you put together an operation blowing up the equipment that we can get a hold of. We've left billions of dollars of equipment, Humvees, armaments, on the ground, planes, choppers, unbelievable, and just take back Bagram Air Base. Is that at all being discussed? I can't say whether it's being discussed, but I can certainly tell you not having Bagram Air Base is a um, strategic uh, disaster. It's a tactical disaster. If you had Bagram Air Base, you, would have an, you wouldn't have so many choke points heading to this, the international airport in Kabul, which is surrounded by civilians and, and residents. Uh, the fact that we are not using the Qataris or other or even the Pakistanis to fly into Kandahar, to fly into Mazar-Sharif, to try and help create other, uh, or Jalalabad, uh, to create other positions where, where people could be evacuated from. The idea that we're trying to funnel all evacuees through Kabul, through an international airport, surrounded by civilians, is literally insane. Nuts. I want to tell you, I'm going to give you this quote. I only have 90 seconds left. President Biden insists that history will remember this exit as logical and rational. Jennifer Griffin, do you think history is going to remember it that way? There's nothing logical or rational about the way this evacuation was handled. Uh, the, the State Department slow rolling the SIV uh, visas for and not moving on the timeline that the military was moving. I know for a fact the Pentagon was telling the State Department they needed to hurry up and get their people out. They were being told by the Ghani government, don't pull the rug out from under us, don't start evacuation flights, it will, it will trigger the fall of, uh, you know, possible fall of the government. There are, have been so many mistakes made that it is impossible to say that this was a, a rational um, decision to go, and the way it's been executed will be studied for years to come. Jennifer, I admire you able to keep your calm. You live this every day, and you see the idiocy taking place in front of you, uh, and you're able to ask these very clear, concise, unemotional questions, and I give you great credit for that because these aren't numbers to you. These are people, and uh, I appreciate your reporting, and please stay on, everybody. Thank you, Brian. Uh, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Uh, and uh, write me. Tell me what you have to think. A lot of you at work, or at school, can't talk on the phone, but you can write. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Coming to you from New York, but a little bit different. The Capital District of New York, the Capital, 1300 AM, 98.7 FM. Uh, they were nice enough to open up their doors to me so I don't have to, to miss the show because I'm on the road doing important stuff. But I did not want to miss this show, so I was able to come up to this great station, and I, I'm able to come here to you from New York. But as we mentioned, heard around the country, heard around the world, and the world is hearing us. Our ineptness, our inadequateness, and the way we're leaving Afghanistan is the biggest embarrassment of my lifetime. And every day it seems to get worse and more dangerous. And the message being sent around the world is we don't want to lead. More importantly, we're not capable of leading. Michael Goodwin, in a matter of moments, New York Post, Fox News contributor. And at the bottom of the hour, the, a website you have to go to if you have not been going to it. It is the Longest War Journal, and it is uh, Thomas Jocelyn. He's been talking about this war, writing about the war with tremendous insight. He does not exonerate the Trump administration. But, man, in looking at the facts, does he blow up the Biden people? Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Whether you talk to someone who has two years on the job or 22 years on the job, they'll say the same thing, that we've never seen this before. And agents are frustrated and frankly they're upset that they're not allowed to go out to the field to do the job that they were hired to do. The former uh, VP of National Border Patrol Council, uh, and he is actually doing that current now upset about what's happening at the border. They've never seen it so bad. It is thoroughly broken. Morale has plummeted. And is Joe Biden destroying this country or what? Number two. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing for a vote this week on the president's $3.5 trillion budget resolution. But a group of moderate Democrats won't even consider that until the House takes up the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill the Senate passed. That unbelievable? All this stuff is still happening. They're dancing, doing fundraisers over the weekend while... The terror reigns supreme in Afghanistan. Our people are dying. Two-year-olds are being trampled. And all they're thinking about is putting $3.5 trillion down our throats, ignoring the $1.2 trillion that was bipartisan and controversial on its own right. The party is only being held off by nine moderate Democrats who have a different agenda. Number one. The evacuation of thousands of people from Kabul is going to be hard and painful no matter when it started, when we began. There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see at television. Inexcusable. The deadline not extended. Reports the Taliban want us out in a week, and the President Biden's request to extend that to get our people out has been rejected. What a disaster. Can someone tell the president we're a superpower? We crushed him in three weeks last time. It'll take less this time, even though they have all of our equipment. Push back the barrier, take back Bagram Air Base, and you tell them when we're leaving. Michael Goodwin, New York Post. Michael, I read your column. I hear your anger. The ineptness, uh, the ineffectiveness, and the cluelessness has hit heights I didn't even think Joe Biden could reach. Put in perspective how much damage is done to the American persona. Uh, good morning, Brian. Well, look, uh, to, to me, I mean, there's all there's all kinds of talk, of course, about whether Biden is fit, uh, whether he's got dementia, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that's the issue in front of us. I, I think the issue really is that now that we know he was given advice, Tony Blinken, the secretary of state, was given advice not to do this. 
uh, and but they ran right through the the red lights and they went ahead and did it the way they wanted to do it without regard to any other consideration and to me this is this is Joe Biden's career in a nutshell he's it is. always been, Always the smartest man in the room, always talking, never listening. And, of course, as Robert Gates said, wrong about every foreign policy and national security issue in 40 years. And I think this is consistent with that. This is how he has operated. The difference, of course, is he's now president. And now the the people around him, uh, if they are speaking up, are being shushed and silenced by his determination to do it his way. And this is this is the result. And, you know, I have to say that the, the appearance yesterday just reinforces this. I mean, he keeps trying to say, as the clip you played, that it was going to be difficult. Well, it was going to be difficult, but it didn't have to be a disaster. There's a big gap between the two. And so he's not even being honest with himself if uh, to say that this was the only way and it was the right way. I mean, that is just the mark of a stubborn, arrogant man, whether he's fit or unfit. Uh, there's there's no distinction here. He has caused an enormous problem. And in terms of the long term, uh, I refer our listeners, Brian, to Ryan Crocker's op-ed in The New York Times. Crocker, courageous diplomats served in Pakistan, Iraq, Afghanistan, Lebanon. I mean, all over the Muslim world. For, for One of the MVPs of the surge in Iraq. One of the MVP. Everyone talks about Petraeus, but Crocker was in, amazing. Yes, yes. And he, he wrote an op-ed in the time, New York Times in which he says that Joe Biden has created enthusiasm among Islamic uh, terrorists everywhere. Uh, he, has, yep. he has given the Taliban the victory. As, as he put it there, uh, they will say we are clad in the armor of the one true faith and we have defeated the infidels. I mean, that is a very powerful recruitment tool. That is a message that will resonate with the, with the fanatics, the Islamist terrorists everywhere around the world, perhaps for generations. And it didn't need to happen. This is the great great tragedy that Joe Biden has created. Yet yeah, no stranger to New York, Michael Goodwin, New York Post, Fox News contributor. Uh, here is President Biden uh, backing up what you just said. He's comfortable with his terrible decision. Cut 14. My job is to make judgments. My job is to make judgments no one else can or will make. I made them. I'm convinced I'm absolutely correct in not deciding to send more young women and men to war for a war that, in fact, is no longer warranted. That's where he's wrong. You have to educate people that this war on terror requires a presence in an area that is terror university. And for him to not understand that 19 hijackers came, were trained in Afghanistan, and now he's sending, by the way, I'm all for getting our allies and, and making sure that they're safe, but you're screening 80,000, 50,000 people. 19 hijackers hit us. You're going to tell me there's no Taliban or ISIS or, or Al-Qaeda weaving, trying to um, pretend that they're refugees in all this? So this is a, a more, more of a possible IED that could be coming our direction. This guy but, is comfortable. I think they, they act like he's got a big heart. I'm, I'm convinced there is no heart there. He, there's a two-year-old trampled. Oh, these are horrible images. They can't be avoided? 
A two-year-old being trampled because they came to an airport you told them to go to where it's safe? Well, Brian, uh, you know, that answer that he gave there was classic misinformation in the sense that he is he doesn't want to own up to what is happening now. He's he's trying to appeal to people who agreed that the war had to come to an end Uh, and leaving leaving aside that dispute. Uh, I think the issue of before us is the way he ended it. And that yes. is the great tragedy, and that is the victory that he has handed to the Taliban. The world can see we are now dependent on the graces of the Taliban to keep our people safe, to get Americans out of Afghanistan, to get our allies out of Afghanistan, that we are effectively beggars now. I mean, it is just inconceivable that he can defend that. So what does he do? He says, well, it was going to be tough any time. It might have been tough, but it didn't have to be a disaster. And that is, you know, people's opinion on the war itself is not really relevant to the disaster you have created by the way you ended it. It's the implementation of the idea as much as it is the idea itself. Yes. And and listen to the careers that have been ruined and the reputations that have been destroyed. And the only thing they could do now is quit and say, I can't do this anymore. Uh, there is Anthony Blinken, who said that, uh, you know, Taliban was really surprised us at the speed in which this happened. And the world has really no has not expressed any anger towards us. We know that's a flat out lie. Secretary Austin, now he can't even evaluate the strength of an army, his or theirs enemy or allies as he watches Afghanistan get rolled over. If he's high, if he's competent, he hides it well. And then you have Jake Sullivan and Ned Price. Have you ever seen two more incompetent Ivy Leaguers go in front of the country and just lie to us? And if they're following the orders of the president, they should actually try to salvage what's left of their careers. Listen to John Kirby. John Kirby, I know if this rear admiral was running things, this wouldn't have happened. But he's got to be a spokesperson for the State Department while representing the Pentagon. Listen to this. Lucas Tomlinson would not let him off the hook. Cut 19. John, two days before Kabul fell, you said from that podium, quote, the city is not right now in any imminent threat environment. How could you get that so wrong? In the moment that I said it, Lucas, uh, it was true. Um, <laughs> and I understand. I've, I've, I've seen the reactions out there on social yeah, media. The city what was I said. surrounded with Taliban. In the moment that I said it, based on what we knew at the time, uh, it was a true statement. And yes, two days later, things dramatically changed. Mike, you know, what, Brian, what do you say to that idiocy? What do you, they, they think we're so stupid? Well, the, the time I said it, it five minutes later, time. it fell. The idea that it was true at the time is not accurate. As he later says, uh, later we learned. But there's no humility about the mistakes. Notice that. It was true at the time. It wasn't true at the time. You thought it was true, but you were wrong. And But they, they have not admitted a single error yet. And I think that is really going to come back to haunt them, because this thing, you cannot defend it. You know, years 
years ago. Uh, remember the the horrible uh, attack on the Marine barracks in Lebanon in 1983, where I think nearly 300 Marines were killed as they slept. And uh, a friend of mine who had served in the military earlier said to me, you know, we were talking about it, and he said, you know, by definition, if the enemy can drive a bomb into your barracks, somebody screwed up. And, and I think that's the, that's the attitude that the military needs to take now. Somebody screwed up here. If this happened, somebody screwed up by definition. And Michael, and I, I could go, go on with you for an hour and not cover everything, but these are the <laughs> same people that pulled everyone out of Iraq, and then they said it's fine and there's no problem and they're ready to stand on their own, and it was Biden who told Joe uh, told Barack Obama it's okay to leave and was Blinken that recommended when he was deputy and it got overrun and we had to put troops back in there. And next thing you know, that JV team became ISIS, which is now uh, fighting with Al Qaeda for the worst people in the world. And now they're back to destroy what what progress we made in Afghanistan. Try to read real quick. Uh, Eric's going to kill me. I want you to hear Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and Martha Raddatz. Cut 20. I know the president has said that the intelligence absolutely did not show that anybody, that the Taliban could take over in 11 days. What, what's the earliest you were aware that that could happen? There were assessments that ranged initially from one to two years to, uh, to you know, several months. It was very difficult to predict with accuracy. This all occurred in a, in a span of about 11 days. No, nobody predicted that you know the government would fall in 11 days. Okay, that is not true. There was a July memo saying that could happen. And can anyone evaluate a satellite photo or get word from the ground how the uh, how the Afghan forces were quitting and getting chewed up? 2,600 were killed since August 5th. So all you do is insult their valor, the ones that were fighting, and that means they died for nothing. So you insult their reputation, which insulted our allies because they feel differently. And then you find out that the Secretary of Defense has no clue that in one week the whole thing would fall. Are they lying or are they that detached? Well, Brian, that's one of the questions of the hours. And and I would say, too, that uh, Austin's presumably complicit in the decision to shut down Bagram Air Base. And that seems to have been sort of, as uh, Ryan Crocker said, like pulling the cornerstone out of the building, uh, that that the whole thing collapsed. Because at that moment, the Afghan army knew that it had no air cover, would not have medevac support, uh, would have have no tactical uh, support. So that the United States made these decisions independent of what was happening on the battlefield. And then to say, gee, we thought they would last longer but even that so you were willing to turn the country over to the Taliban whether it was one day or two years where is the virtue in that decision and the damage is so great I mean and they're hoping that this is a news cycle and we have to make sure that it is not it is not a news cycle this damage is permanent and like the border, when it's going to be very tough, or tough to recover. Michael, thanks so much. I'll continue to read what you write and uh, listen to what you say. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. 
Michael Goodwin, uh, 1-866-408-7669. And one of the most learned people you'll ever talk to, Thomas Jocelyn, uh, who knows what's going on in the ground in Afghanistan right now, will be joining us in 10 minutes. But next is you, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Mr. Anthony Tony Blinken, who is not only unqualified, but in fact, in my view, uh, one of the worst uh, selections that of a very bad lot that this president has chosen. Not only is Mr. Blinken unqualified, but he is, I believe, a threat to the traditional interests and values that embody the United States of America. And now he's Secretary of State. That was 2014. John McCain seeing Anthony Blinken's nomination from President, then President Barack Obama. So this guy's terrible. You got to be kidding me. He was the one who pushed along with Vice President, then Vice President Joe Biden to pull out of Iraq. The whole thing collapsed. We got ISIS. We still haven't shook them. Americans were being headed, drowned in cages. Then we had to put troops on the ground and put special forces into Syria to wipe out ISIS and the enclave and destroy the caliphate once and for all. Kill Baghdadi on top of that. And he is now dead as well as Soleimani. That's what people understand. They're like, well, why is the president Trump doing that? Now, I think President Trump was, should have left the special forces to do their thing in Syria as well. But the people making these decisions are incompetent. The guy at the top, it's too easy to say he's gotten older. This is the idiot. These were his idiot beliefs back then. No one listened to him. Remember, there was a reason why President Obama said never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to blank things up. And this is by far the biggest screw up in the history of modern America. I don't think anything rivals it. Remember, two years after we left Vietnam, that's when we had 1975 with a new president at that time that pulled everybody out. When we come back, Thomas Jocelyn on the latest on the ground, the actual latest, and then we're going to finish. I see calls up there. We'll finish with you right after that. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Taliban has to make a fundamental decision. Is the Taliban going to attempt to be able to unite and provide for the well-being of the people of Afghanistan, which no one group has ever done since before, for hundreds of years. And if it does, it's going to need everything from additional help in terms of economic assistance, trade, and a whole range of things. The Taliban has said, we'll see whether they mean it or not. They're seeking legitimacy. Really? They're seeking legitimacy. 
Are they going to try to be a part of the world community? I'm sure they're going to donate a portion of their tax revenue uh, to de- various U.N. causes, um, digging wells in Africa. Thomas Jocelyn, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and senior editor of Long War Journal, which you simply have to read, and I always do. Uh, he joins us now. Hey, Tom. Brian, how you doing? Boy, I, I got to tell you, there was a lot of nonsense even baked into that short little audio clip you just played. And, you know, he just got things wrong even in that little soundbite. It's unbelievable. First off, do you think the Taliban thought about it and may look back at the, the after-action report after they were ousted 19, from when they took power in 96 or 2001 and thought, what are the things we did wrong? We weren't welcoming enough to the world community. Do you think they've changed? You know, they absolutely have done after-action reports, but it's not in any of the ways that um, President Biden or people that think along those same lines uh, have concluded. They don't care about international legitimacy other than on their own terms, on, other than on their own strict religious and ideological terms. They've uh, built an Islamic Emirate. They've restored Islamic Emirate. And I think it's important to note, you know, what President Biden just said there in that audio clip, well, the reason why I was kind of chuckling about it is because it shows he's ignorant of the 1990s. You know, there, there has been a party that united most of Afghanistan under one banner. That was the Islamic Emirate Afghanistan, the Taliban regime. They, did, they united 85 percent or 90 percent of the country, maybe even a little bit more under their authority. So the idea that nobody could possibly ever unite Afghanistan, no, the jihadis have, and they've done it on their own strict religious and ideological terms, and they have an authoritarian regime in place to rule once again, and they don't care about Western norms or Western legitimacy. I mean, they even they even flaunt this in English, uh, Brian. I mean, you can go to their English, their English website, where they just ran a piece in the last 24 hours saying, Liberalism has nothing to do with women's rights. We don't. We couldn't care less about what the West says about women's rights. I mean, the idea that the president of the United States would still be, you know, flirting with the idea that the Taliban uh, cares about his version of international legitimacy after all these years is just—it's just absurd. So I want you to hear what he said too about uh, American prestige and power and our how we're viewed by our allies. Cut one. What's your message to the? America's partners around the world who have criticized not the withdrawal, but the conduct of that withdrawal and made, it, made them question America's credibility on the world stage. I have seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. Is that true, Thomas Jocelyn? Flat fa- it's flat false. Um, the British Parliament and you can see leaders of the German government have questioned us very openly. Uh, you know, and, and, and said that there's been a lack of leadership here by the President Biden and his administration. Um, you can see, you know, here's another example of that the French right now, according to multiple reports, are providing logistical assistance to the resistance that's trying to prevent the Taliban's totalitarian regime from taking over the last remnants of, of what we could call Afghan freedom in, in the country. And America is nowhere to be seen in that fight. And the French are leading there. So, America is um, has failed here in a way that is um, traumatic. I think that it goes across administrations, but certainly President Biden owns this last act. So it looks like uh, Macron uh, in particular, and by the way, that's Massoud and the former vice president, uh, Salah, and he is in the, the northern part. And it looks like the Taliban are moving with our equipment to stamp them out before they get too big. Macron told exactly. Biden not to abandon his Afghan allies in a phone call. But the White House scrubbed exactly. it from the summary uh, and uh, said Macron had upbraided his U.S. counterpart over his sudden withdrawal from Afghanistan, which has triggered chaos uh, as Americans and Afghans granted visas to flee 
to flee from the Taliban. It read, President Macron spoke with the U.S. President Joe Biden this evening about the situation in Afghanistan. It didn't say how angry he was. Why is it, Thomas, that our allies, the NATO allies, not only were they not read in, they did not want to leave yet. They thought there was work to do. They are worried about the refugees. They are worried about the terrorists. Why are we not? Well, look, there are a couple things here. You can make the case that America, after all these years and all the blood and treasure spent, should get out of Afghanistan and no longer have any kind of significant footprint. I Believe me, I can make the arguments against the ongoing war effort there. I, I would say probably better than anybody because I've been dealing with the failures and documenting the failures for many years. However, even if all you wanted to do was get out of Afghanistan, you had to come up with a better plan than this. You had to come up with some plan. You had to have some idea of what you were doing. And, you know, when President Biden um, announced in April that the U.S., that the withdrawal, the full withdrawal was going to happen, something curious happened that everybody missed at the time. He says the U.S. is getting out entirely, but then they kept a big force of embassy personnel and other American uh, Americans in place. They didn't evacuate them right away. They had time right then and there. And I said, I said right then and there very loudly, wait a minute, get out, get out now. There's no reason to wait. Like, don't keep anybody in Kabul for sure, because this thing's coming. And they kept those people in place. It didn't make any sense. So basically, they also gave up, as you know, has been well documented now, they gave up the Bagram Air Base, which was a big tactical mistake. They didn't have any plan in place to um, provide contractor support or assistance to the Afghan government in the fight against the Taliban. Now, look, we all know that the Afghan government and the Afghan security forces failed here in a big way. There's no excuses we can make for them. But they, they, even the, the little, the few tactical things that they could have done to at least stall the advances of the jihadists and make an easier departure for the Americans weren't done. And so this is really, I think, just shows a brutal, brutal level of incompetence. Thomas, tell me if you see these parallels, and, and you live it every day, so feel free to say I'm wrong. The, when, when, Afghan, when Iraq fell well, the first time, we pulled everybody out. It's not so much the Iraqis didn't want to fight. They had no commanders. They had no leadership. We had to provide the backbone, let alone the air support. And then they started fighting again, and they kept them about Baghdad. They repelled them. They, you get the Kurds involved, and we know what happened. Afghanistan was able to hold because we had to go back. When we leave, we were their commanders. We were their colonels and captains and lieutenants. And when we leave, well, along with the air power, despite a handful of people who just wanted to fight, the odds were so overwhelming, the threats were so real, their families were so in jeopardy, this should not have been hard to predict this outcome. With our command, with our commanders and our air force, we had, they were the fighters. Do you, do you see the parallel? The parallel is exactly right, and I don't think enough people are making the point that you just made, Brian. I mean, you know, a lot of people were willing to throw the Afghans under the bus, and I think we have to separate two things here. There was absolutely, as you say, a failure in the Afghan leadership, um, absolutely uh, corrupt, incompetent leaders on the Afghan part who nobody can really uh, vouch for at this point. However, you know, an estimated 66,000 Afghans died as foot soldiers uh, for the U.S.-led war, uh, war since 2014. And we've documented that thousands died, many thousands died um, over the last year before even the final blitzkrieg by the Taliban. They were fighting on the ground, the Afghans were, for themselves and for their country. They just lacked their own Afghan leadership to keep them going in the fight. The Americans, as you said, for all the problems on the U.S. military's leadership side, and I'm very critical of how the generals have mishandled this war and the Pentagon mishandled this war, but a lot of our guys and gals in the field were, did exemplary work to stand up the Afghans and keep them fighting and to prevent the jihadis from taking over the country. And absolutely, that once you ripped that away, once you took 
that away, the whole thing crumbled. And that's one of the key aspects in why it did crumble. You know, there were plenty of Afghans who fought and died in this war, many more Afghans than Americans, and certainly many more, many, many more multiples, you know, exponentially more uh, Afghans since 2014 than Americans. And yet, um, you know, that, that seems to be lost in the story. True. So give me the situation on the ground right now. Americans cannot get to the airport or there's these, uh, these veterans groups are providing logistical advice to get them to the airport by studying satellite photos, which is pathetic, but yet as so admirable and inspiring. It's pathetic they have to do it outside the government. But right now, if I'm an American outside Kabul, can I get to the airport, Thomas Jocelyn? Um, not without a lot of difficulty. And what you're seeing are some indications that um, some of our folks are saying, you know, go in basically the back door or through back alleys to try and get in. Don't go through the Taliban checkpoints. And one of the reasons for that, Brian, this is a point I think a lot of people are missing. Um, just over the last 24 to 48 hours, the Taliban accounts have shared images of their special forces, known as the Badri 313 Special Forces, manning checkpoints and providing, quote unquote, security outside the airport in Kabul. Brian, uh, we suspect that this is what is known as the Badri Army. This is an Akani Special Forces uh, outfit. That means it's an Al-Qaeda Special Forces outfit. And look out, because these guys are known for complex suicide missions. They're known for brutal assaults. They helped the Taliban win the war. And the idea that they're stationed right outside the Kabul airport right now spooks me a little bit. Yeah, Haqqani is going to be part of this new government. I understand Karzai is also trying to play a role, and Abdullah Abdullah. What can you tell me about these negotiations? So now Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah, they're just being cajoled into submission by the Haqqanis. Just so everybody understands here, one of the major foundational failures in this war was that the Pentagon and a lot of people in the U.S. government didn't really understand who they were fighting. The Haqqanis um, really were al-Qaeda before al-Qaeda was al-Qaeda. They incubated, they built al-Qaeda. The, the founder of the so-called Haqqani network is a guy named Jalaluddin Haqqani. He was Osama bin Laden's first benefactor and, in fact, helped bin Laden escape from the Torabora Mountains in 2001. Today, his son... Sir Judin Akani is the number two of the Taliban, but he's also the warlord. He's the muscle, Brian. He's the guy who actually controls the armed forces. Um, so he's really the, the, the real power within the Taliban. And we have documented in Longwood Journal over the years extensive evidence showing that Sir Judin Akani is in bed with al-Qaeda to this day. In fact, um, according to a recent U.N. report, this, there's intelligence cited in that report indicating that he's just flat out a member of al-Qaeda's senior leadership. So the idea that there's some distinction between the Taliban and al-Qaeda um, is proven false just, just before you even leave the number two of the group of the Taliban. You can show that they're deeply in bed together. And now the Haqqanis right now, they are flexing their muscle both politically and militarily in Kabul. What they're doing politically is they are cajoling Abdullah, Abdullah, Karzai, and others and saying, submit now, don't fight it out, because if you do, you're going to pay. And so they're playing a sophisticated diplomatic game in Kabul right now basically quash any potential opposition in, in or around Kabul, politically or otherwise, so that they can consolidate their Islamic emirate. Ghani, uh, so Ghani leaves. He's a coward, and he's corrupt. He leaves, and if the reports are true from Al Jazeera, he left with uh, cars of cash and a chopper, in a chopper, and car, four cars full of cash. Uh, we know that he was stealing in front of us when he was, when he was leading Afghanistan. But why does he run, and why does Abdullah Abdullah stay? Why does Karzai come back? Well, you know, Karzai always had better relations with the Taliban than 
Ghani or anybody else, and he was always a much more duplicitous figure in all this. That's not a defense of Ghani, however. Ghani was the wrong guy to try and lead this war. I mean, he's a you know Western-educated academic. The idea that you're going to have a guy like that in place to try and lead this fight against a bunch of barbarians is, quite frankly, absurd. But the U.S. stood him up and supported him for years, even as American leaders privately admitted that he was not the right guy for the fight. And they didn't allow him to basically um, be toppled. You know, I, I kind of think that basically what, what a better policy would have been for the Americans to say a, year, a couple of years ago, hey, let's let the Afghans sort this out and fight. They may lose, but let them have a shot at figuring out who their best leader is and standing up this guy instead of standing up this guy who was, a known, who was definitely a loser. And instead they cho- chose this path of standing by Ghani all these years. And it just didn't make any sense. I want you to hear what the president said because no one knows how wrong he is uh, like you do, Tom. Cut five. What interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? We went to Afghanistan for the express purpose of getting rid of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan as well as, as well as getting Osama bin Laden. And we did. Is al-Qaeda gone from Afghanistan? Not even close. Um, you know, look, this isn't a defense of the war effort at this point, Brian, because we've been covering this for so many years now. We realized the U.S. government wasn't going to produce an accurate assessment. But just think about the basic facts that I just gave you about Sir June Nakani, the number two of the Taliban, right? This is a guy, you know, we, we fought to get the files recovered in Osama bin Laden's compound released. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but those files show that this guy, Sir June Nakani, was very highly trusted by bin Laden and was working with bin Laden's chief lieutenant to execute operations in Afghanistan and was deeply you know, ingrained in the, in the al-Qaeda hierarchy and the al-Qaeda decision-making. And he's the warlord who won this war on behalf of the Taliban. How is it that the American government or the president of the United States could say that al-Qaeda has gone from Afghanistan when the guy who won the war is literally in bed with al-Qaeda and, quite frankly, very well just could be al-Qaeda itself? I mean, it's totally absurd, but this sort of disconnected dots mindset um, has been prevalent in the U.S. government for many years. And I, I think you can point to, as we have at Lone War Journal, there's just a ton of evidence showing that al-Qaeda is all throughout that country. You know, we're, we're the only outfit that actually goes through al-Qaeda's Arabic literature, their weekly newsletter. And from November 2020 to April of this year, al-Qaeda itself in its Arabic newsletter advertised its presence in 15 of Afghanistan's 34 provinces. And we tracked it in an additional three other provinces. That's 18 out of 34 provinces that we could find we could find intelligence on just in the last year where they're operating. The idea that they're gone is just false. And and the question is, does he does he not know that? And if he does not know that, why doesn't he? Because then everybody has to come out and try to correct him and keep their credibility, which is shot anyway. Uh, Thomas Jocelyn, uh, your head must be ready to explode on this. Long War Journal, uh, senior editor. You've been covering it every day when people seem disinterested and didn't want to talk about it. Now the world can't get their eyes off of it. Thomas, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, Taliban Special Forces outfit providing security at Kabul Airport. Um, that is uh, the latest article from Tom. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your calls at one 408 Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from uh, the Capital District. We're lucky enough to be on talk uh, 1300 AM, 98.7 FM uh, here in and around Albany uh, at our great affiliate. Mike's listening to WABC. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you? Hey, how are you, Good. man? Good. Just agonized about what's going on right now. What's on your mind? It's awful. So uh, the point I wanted to make was everybody keeps talking about how how many lies keep coming out of his mouth when he's up at that podium. And um, I believe up till this point in his uh, presidency, he's been so comfortable pretty much saying whatever he wanted, lying as much as he wanted and being protected by the media to the point where it didn't even matter what he said. So I just feel like this this particular problem is just a little too big for that, and and it's going to come back and bite him on the you-know-what. I like that uh, observation. Jordan, listening online. Hey, Jordan, you're in uh, upstate New York. What's on your mind? Thanks for having me on the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, Thomas is really spot on. He was a great caller uh, having on the show, but... I want to get back to you made a little point there about Obama and when we were withdrawn from Iraq. I was in Afghanistan in 2010, 2011, at the end of 12, and we were in the Battle of Marja, at the, which was basically the Fallujah of Afghanistan yep. for us. By the time we left Marja, we were walking down, the commanders were walking down the streets without gear on, buying stuff from the bazaar, kids were going to school. It was really, it had made a big improvement. We had built police stations. Well, they pulled us back to basically dig a big hole and throw everything away. It's unbelievable, uh, Jordan. I hear these stories. It's like we have been let down by our generals and our politicians, not by our war fighters. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Today, a little bit different. We're in the Capitol uh, in Albany, uh, 1300 AM, 98.7 FM. You'll know... uh, they're uh, one of our coveted affiliates, and Paul Vandenberg has let us come out of here today. He even gave us an hour of his show to help do it. And he'll be joining us a little bit later this hour to talk about the last day of Governor Cuomo. Ten years in office, and he was, uh, Paul was explaining to me, who knows what's going on in, in, in New York better than anybody else. He's leaving friendless because he's a thug. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I'm watching the Pentagon briefing, and Admiral Kirby actually just said... Uh, on when the question of why did you give up Bob Graham Air Force uh, Air, uh, Air Base, he said, well, we did some tabletop exercises and we thought we could run a play on Kabul Airport and we're running it now and, and it's running well. It's running well? You, the perimeter is ringed with Taliban. They're beating up Americans and anybody else stealing the paperwork of our Afghan allies trying to make their way there. A two-year-old was just trampled and suffocated to death. Women are handing their children over a wall, and he says it's the tabletop play that's running well. Big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Whether you talk to someone who has two years on the job or 22 years on the job, they'll say the same thing, that we've never seen this before. And agents are frustrated and frankly, they're upset that they're not allowed to go out to the field to do the job that they were hired to do. Uh, No kidding. Uh, That is what's happening at our southern border. Thoroughly broken down. Morale plummets. Number of illegal surge. Is Joe Biden trying to destroy the country? Number two. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is pushing for a vote this week on the president's $3.5 trillion budget resolution. But a group of moderate Democrats won't even consider that until the House takes up the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill the Senate passed. Uh, Yeah, isn't that interesting? $3.5 trillion. Remember that reconciliation package which threatens to bankrupt your nation? The House is back in session, and Pelosi, who was dancing at a fundraiser yesterday, just doesn't have the votes, and America doesn't have the money. The party that says, don't pay the rent, don't go to work, here's your money for having children, now wants to make our country in the image of Europe. When will Americans say enough? Number one. The evacuation of thousands of people from Kabul is going to be hard and painful, no matter when it started, when we began. There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see on television. That is just not true and so disingenuous. Deadline not extended. Reports Taliban want us out in a week regardless as Biden speaks to calm fears of the disaster calamity we are witnessing in our final days and only reinforces the opinion at home and afraid that he has the biggest mistake in our foreign policy history. And it's all on President Biden and his ridiculous inadequate staff. His allies uh, are really destroying the country in a way I didn't think was possible. Dan Hoffman uh, has seen it all. Former CIA station chief in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, South Asia, Europe, Fox News contributor. Daniel, is there any way to put in perspective the damage done to our country from witnessing this? Well, I think we're going to see a lot of damage in the coming years, Brian, frankly, because we're leaving Afghanistan in a more precarious position than it's ever been in. It's a greater threat to our national security than it's ever been. And there's a great risk that the enemy, which is still at war with us, the Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, they're still at war with our NATO allies and with us. They are going to be focused on attacking us. And when they do, that will uh, cause us great harm, obviously, in the future. And I'm I'm really worried about that. So we're supposed to get, uh, I don't know, another 10,000 Americans. We don't even know the number. The French and British and, and, uh, and the Dutch and others are NATO allies saying we got a lot of people we got to get out. We cannot get this done in a week. Here's what the Taliban spokesperson said. It's not great audio, but here's the response to our request for an extended deadline. If they extend it, that means they are extending occupation. While uh, there is no need uh, for, for that, I think it, it will deteriorate the relation that will uh, create mistrust bet- between us. It will um, uh, provoke a reaction. It will provoke a reaction. Dan, we need more time. Who cares what the Taliban reaction is? We beat them in three weeks last time with, led by the Northern Alliance. We know exactly where everybody is. Why don't we? We have 5,800 on the ground. We tell them the deadline's extended, don't you think? Take back the, uh, the Bagram Air Base if we have to. Actually, um, this is going to sound a bit counterintuitive to the listeners, but I actually agree. We've got to get our people out before that date. You know, we, we don't, Admiral Kirby over the weekend admitted that we don't know how many Al Qaeda are in Afghanistan. We don't even know where they are. And we don't know how many Americans are there. We've got to get everyone out as fast as we can. There are 
real persistent threats that we're seeing and detecting from ISIS and al-Qaeda. And the longer this goes on, the more are people at risk. So while I don't like the Taliban imposing deadlines upon us and red lines and other things, and, and that's an affront to us as a superpower, and I agree with you, on the other hand, I wish we'd double, triple, quadruple the number of troops in Afghanistan and go in, find our people, and get them out because they are in harm's way right now, and we are not doing enough, quickly enough, uh, to get them home. But, Dan, I think you're right, but that's an objective. But I'm telling you right now, I'm listening to these comments from the British and the French. They're not going to be able to get out their people and their allies in a week. So we're supposed to, again, let our NATO allies down? And that could be an objective, pick up the pace, that's fine. But we're not leaving the base. So we're basically telling these people through veterans groups to find a way to get to Kabul airport, beat the perimeter to the Taliban, convince the Taliban to let you in to our inside our walls. So I just don't think something's got to give. Yeah, something's got to give for sure. Listen, I'm getting all kinds of calls. You know, journalists are trying to get people out and, and NGOs and others. I mean, this is the U.S. military's responsibility. So let them do it. And if they need more resources to get it done in the air, on the ground, give it to them. And it's also our responsibility to pick up our NATO allies and assist them in evacuating their people. And, it, and I can't emphasize enough um, the danger in trying to evacuate you know, innocent civilians uh, who are at great risk in the middle of a war zone. It's one of the most difficult things you can do. We made it harder by withdrawing our intelligence footprint and turning over Bagram Air, Air Base to the Afghan government, which promptly surrendered it, and the prisoners being held there to the Taliban. We've just It's a massive self-inflicted wound, and frankly, we're lucky that, that more of our people haven't been killed. Um, but, you know, we got to move with the greatest speed that we can. And uh, it's only going to get more difficult for us. The longer we wait, the harder it's going to be to get our people out. Dan, and everything you said obviously is correct, but not in the current rules. We have to be able to leave the base in great numbers. Right. That has right. to change. Don't you agree? I agree 100 percent. And when you're trying to rescue American citizens, there are no boundaries. Um, we need to get out there in the city that we know so well, by the way, and make that happen. That's my uh my belief, at least, and I would be hoping that there was some sort of a contingency plan developed for this. Listen, when I was at the CIA, um, we developed planning for even the most unlikely scenarios. That's what you do tactically, strategically. And I don't think anyone accepts uh, the level of chaos and human suffering and risk to our citizens that we are experiencing right now. That is a foreign policy failure. I'm going to put your analysis hat on right now. How much were we benefiting in the war on terror, the Islamic extremist threat, by being there, by having multiple CIA bases there and nine military bases? How much were we benefiting with intelligence and, uh, and operations and understanding? We were benefiting a lot, and I will say that you know our citizens weren't having to track on how well we were doing it at killing al-Qaeda guys who were threatening our nation with that capability. I always believed that we needed a narrowly focused counterterrorism mission with the fewest amount of troops and intelligence officers and State Department diplomats to accomplish that mission. Uh, we got waylaid there focusing on building an Afghan government and building out the country, nation building, girls schools and all those things that are fine but take us away from, from the, the, the importance of being in what is really a failed state where terrorist threats are growing. You know, I grew up reading Charles Krauthammer's op-eds and watching him on Fox News, and he always believed that we needed to deploy out there in harm's way in certain circumstances when the threats were such 
to our nation uh, that we needed to be there to preempt them before they're visited on our shores. And I, I believe that to this day that we could have kept a few thousand troops. We keep 28,000 troops in, in South Korea as a tripwire. Otherwise, Kim Jong-un would invade. Uh, we were doing our job, and I served there two years. Um, I've been in Afghanistan. Our brave patriots on the front lines were honored to do it and would have continued to do it uh, to keep our nation safe. And I'm sorry we have to be there, but as long as Pakistan, Afghanistan are failed states, we kind of got to be there. And the, the risk, I'll just add one other thing, is Pakistan's got nuclear weapons, and al-Qaeda has been focused on targeting their nuclear infrastructure. That's another concern for us going forward. Yeah, but by the way, uh, uh, they have been totally let down by their politicians and their commanders. Jake yeah. Sullivan was asked about this was asked about this over the weekend on a very light, easy, uh, easy interview on CNN, which was kind of surprising because the anchor's husband is special operator. And Jake Sullivan said, "Why did the president basically say there's no Al Qaeda presence? Uh, there's no Al Qaeda presence in Afghanistan." Cut twenty one. Why is he misleading with his words here? First of all, I reject that characterization with respect to al-Qaeda. Right now, our intelligence community does not believe that al-Qaeda in Afghanistan represents a threat to the United States homeland. He has pointed out that we have been able to deal with and suppress terrorist threats in other countries that do have attack capabilities against America without a permanent military presence on the ground. We intend to do the same thing when it comes to Afghanistan. Okay, so he's he, he... Yep. Yeah. Why? Look, first of all, the terrain in Afghanistan is very, very difficult. It's not like Syria and Yemen, where you can do overflights and track a lot of stuff. In Afghanistan, you need human sources. The reason why we haven't been hit in the homeland is because we were out there on the front line detecting those al-Qaeda terrorist threats and preempting them um, and ending them before they could hurt us in the region and beyond. Uh, Secondly, the guy who's running security for Kabul is Khalil Haqqani, the uncle of Siraj Adin Haqqani. He is a terrorist, designated as such by our State Department, his whole Haqqani network. They have allowed al-Qaeda to homestead on their territory. Dare we remind the Biden administration that the leader of al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawahiri, is at large in Afghanistan, Pakistan region, but most likely in Afghanistan. Uh, there are al-Qaeda fighters, and they are now going to travel to this region knowing that they have a welcome host in the Taliban. So, and we don't have the intelligence capability any longer to really detect those threats. This administration likes to have near certainty before launching kinetic strikes. Good luck with that. So, uh, lastly, I understand over the weekend it got reported to me, and I think the situation's been solved. That the CIA guys, since they're d dissolving their bases that we didn't know much about, and I'm glad we didn't, uh, they've been left exposed and out there, and there's been an unresponsive White House to help them. Did you hear anything about this? And do you, and I heard the situation's been solved. Uh, if so, did you hear the same thing? Well, I, I've heard um, more harrowing news than that, um, that many of our Afghan partners um, fought to the death against the Taliban. And these were guys who were fighting the Taliban alongside us, keeping us safe, collecting intelligence on our behalf so that we could find, fix, and finish al-Qaeda threats. We had a long-standing partnership with um, with Afghan uh, brave Afghan uh, paramilitary units, and uh, heaven knows what you know what what their fate was. But I know in some circumstances uh, they went down fighting against the Taliban, and uh, 
you know, that, that history will be written. Frankly, there will be a lot of testimony in the Congress. Um, some of it will be um, open for our citizens to listen to, and some of it will be behind closed doors. Uh, I hope we get a lot of it because um, we really need accurately to understand what went wrong here um, so that maybe in the future another administration can pick up the pieces and uh, and once again focus on keeping our nation safe properly. And Dan, did, and just you as a, an American has done what you've done. What does it do to you knowing that life was going on this weekend? Uh, there was a huge fundraiser with the Speaker of the House running it in California. And then you have the majority leader of the Senate dancing at a concert. How can you do that and call yourself an American leader with what's happening in Afghanistan? I mean, this is a somber time um, as we approach the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, I have a very dear friend of mine who was there in New York, in Manhattan, um, was working for CIA and happened to be there at the World Trade Center and saw people jumping to their deaths. He went and served three tours in Afghanistan, including as our station chief. Um, he and I have talked a lot in the past few weeks and the past few days. Um, we're just, this is a somber time to reflect on that day 20 years ago. And also for all of us to be cognizant um, that, look, Afghanistan is more of a clear and present danger today than it's ever been. And uh, our citizens are less safe today than they were yesterday. And I can tell you that, that our that CIA and U.S. military and State Department are focused on, on our national security, on, on keeping our people safe. But they've just been dealt a wicked hand, and it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to do so. They, the, the president has just written a check that's going to be hard for us to cash, frankly. And, and their leaders of the State Department, Anthony Blinken and uh, Austin, they have to be fired they, if they did not put down and turn in their, uh, their IDs after being told to do this, uh, then that means they're complicit and they should be fired. They embarrassed this country at a level I didn't think was possible. Daniel, thanks so much. Dan Hoffman will continue to talk to you, former CIA station chief in just about every dangerous place on the planet. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Brian. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back with your thoughts. And I'll go through some of your emails on briankillme.com. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. My sister, she's got two kids in America. She's an American citizen, and it's been six days, seven days. She's attempted three times to go to the airport, but they will not let them pass unless they show their passports. If they show their passports, if they wave their passport at a, at a Taliban, that this is me, this is an American citizen, that's a death call, death sentence for herself. She will be killed on the spot or she will be taken and executed. Do you believe this? That's the human element. Now, those are some of the things that are happening inside that country where thousands of Americans stay. Now we're told to stay in place. We'll come get you. Good luck with that. Dave, WDBO uh, in Orlando. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Brian, just real quick. Uh, so I listen to a media out of India. 
And over two weeks ago, they showed Taliban leaders meeting with Chinese leaders. They have deals going on. China's doing mining in Afghanistan. I have no idea why. We have no influence on the Taliban. Why aren't we calling the Chinese? The Chinese obviously have deals with the Taliban that were made prior to this going on. But I hear nobody. I hear no Democrats. Why, no why would you want to talk to the nobody. Chinese? The Chinese, this just so you how disingenuous the Taliban are. The Chinese are torturing in concentration camps Muslims, and yet they'll still have conversations with China because they want China's money. And the Belt and Road program extended there. And in turn, they get the rare earth that we did not mine that China will go in. But I'm not, we shouldn't talk to China. We wouldn't trust any deal that we'd actually get from the Chinese to begin with. Uh, when we get back, uh, Brett Bear and the, the political fallout, I'll give you some poll numbers, even though in the middle of this, uh, epi, uh, this catamalismic, catamalismic uh, fa- failure by the Biden administration. And then we'll end up to the latest on Governor Cuomo's last day. Paul Vandenberg's here on that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In effect, these Americans are hostages to the Taliban. They may not be under lock and key in a jail, but if the Taliban control all the airports once we leave and they control all the border crossings, then we are going to be a hostage to fortune to the Taliban's goodwill to those Americans. I know there's been a lot of comparisons this past week to Saigon 1975. Uh, I would say that this has been much worse than what happened in Saigon in 1975. But the scenario that troubles me more going forward is the prospect of Tehran 1979, when the Ayatollahs took 52 Americans hostage and it paralyzed America for more than a year. And um, by the way, Senator Cotton has been right about all this for so many times. I mean, you have the little things like the virus and look at the Wuhan uh, lab right away. You saw what happened here with these different variants. And once again, he predicted this. I know he was more in the endless war camp of President Trump, which I've never been a part of. And talking to the Taliban, I think it was a mistake. But it wasn't a, a fatal mistake. It wasn't a mortal wound. Would you talk to him and you say, okay, no one's talked to him. I'm going to make it formal. I'm going to talk to him. And when he realized they weren't living up to what they were going to say, when they were still trying to carve up the Afghan forces and move in advance on provincial capitals. That's what's blowing up the whole deal. Also, fundamentally, they had to publicly come out and, 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 and uh, utter disdain for al-Qaeda. We will not have any part of al-Qaeda. They would not do that. So the deal is essentially over, null and void. And they never would have left. And I have it on pretty good authority, too. The president told two people separately different stories let me get through this election, and then we'll evaluate the troop strength because there's a real terror threat. And this guy understands terrorists. So now we got 5,800 in Kabul. Remember the president that wants everybody out? Well, now you got 5,800 in. 37,000 people have been, they say, evacuated. I don't know who those people are, how many are Americans. Two days ago, a lot of these planes were half full. And for a while, we had an eight-hour pause because no other countries would accept any of the refugees. And now, I guess we have places that will accept them. If you're going to bring them to America, they better be thoroughly screened. 
It's amazing how quick they're looking to process these people when they're coming from Afghanistan as opposed to coming from our southern border. Is Brett there? All right, Brett Baer joins us getting set to host special report, but all over the biggest story in really 20 years. I think this is a self-inflicted 9-11 type wound on American foreign policy and security. Uh, Brett, any way to quantify the damage has been done to our international reputation? Hmm. Yeah, we lost him. All right. Uh, it's not uh, – it's okay. I want you to hear what Donald – this is what I was going to play for him anyway. So he was uh, asked – took a couple of questions. One was from Ed O'Keefe of CBS who did some polling that shows the president's approval ratings now dropped nine points to 50 percent. Uh, 39% approve of the way he's handled this pullout. Listen to this. Cut three. Cut two. It's an incredible operation. Because the United States is now negotiating with the Taliban over airport access and such, do you now trust them? And then a question on the public response. A new poll out today shows Americans wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan, but they disapprove of the way you've handled it. Poll also found that based in part on what's transpired in the last week, a majority of Americans and forgive me, I'm just the messenger, no longer consider you to be competent, focused, or effective in the job. I haven't seen that poll. It's out there um, from CBS this morning. Um, (laughs) And he laughs. Joe Biden thinks he made a good decision about the way he did it. Secretary of Austin said we never could have predicted it was going to end this quick. Secretary of State, we never know. Kabul is going to fall so quick. we always thought it was it. And then when pressed, uh, Donald Trump put this plan in place. We had no choice. Brett Bears here knows there was many choices and that this administration is never shy about breaking up one of Donald Trump's plans. Brett, any way to – I'll ask you the question I asked, but you weren't able to answer. We, you dropped off. Um, what was your reaction to the Sunday presser from the president? Did he help anybody to make feel be- feel better, you think, about our, our uh, evacuation? No, no. I mean, I think it was still defensive. I think it was uh, a lot about the original choice and framed it again in the same way about, uh, you know, we have to get end the forever war. Well, I mean, that's not the decision. You listen to Robert O'Brien, former national security advisor for the Trump administration, saying this would never happen under President Trump. It would would not. And then if anybody thought that way, um, you know, they, they should be disabused of that. And, you know, I do think that there's a cadence to this. And if you listen to what the intelligence people and the military people are saying, they're saying that the president overruled them. And this is not what they had planned. Now, the end to the war and getting troops out was in the works, but not like this. And I don't think Sunday helped. Here is Robert O'Brien, cut 35. The president made very clear he did not want a Saigon-style exit. Uh, he did want to move troops out of Afghanistan and put them in the Pacific, and that's another thing we need to make sure we do to, to, to deter the Chinese who are building a massive navy and, and putting the United States at risk. But he also said, I don't want a Saigon-style retreat from Afghanistan. And, and he knew that, and General Milley knew that, and, and, and that was our policy. We, we wanted to, we, the president didn't want to leave any equipment behind. In, in Afghanistan, and we've left billions of dollars. The taxpayers have paid billions of dollars in this equipment that's been left behind. The Taliban's going to be one of the best equipped armies in the entire world, not just in the region, but in the world. So 
He and one I mean, thing about O'Brien, he stays away from politics. And he I, and the and in, you know my humble opinion, not that I wanted to get down this road, is Trump never would have let Kabul fall because he knows it's on his report card. His ego would not have let that happen. The military would not have let that happen. Pompeo wouldn't have let that happen. And this, I, I don't even know whose idea it was to give up Bob Graham Air Base. Have you gotten to the bottom of that? In fact, was that you? I mean. Listen, Bagram Air Base has longer, bigger runways. I've been there, I think, 13 times, and it's just a bigger facility than it with a commercial airport. So the recommendation was to keep Bagram and to then evacuate out of that. And how it got to this, um, I think that these are going to be fascinating, both the military hearings and the intelligence hearings. Yeah, I mean, I hope we get and get politics out of this. But I also got to, cannot tell you that, uh, and I don't need to tell you, Brett, but our listeners should know we are not out of the woods. They can talk about how many people have been evacuated. It's chaos and it's carnage and death, two-year-olds suffocated. You have other people, just you see them just dropping. There's no food. There's no water. Even those who get inside the walls, they have no refre- They have no food. They have no water. Our military is doing the best. There's 5,800 Brett, please tell me we're going to be allowed to leave the base to get our people. If they can't get to the checkpoints, how are they going to do this? No, they're active. I mean, it's just got to change. They've got to have uh, military proposals to go out, just like the British, just like the French, just like the Aussies already have. They already have done this. They've already gone out and uh, gotten their people and, and brought, them to, brought them to the to the airport. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous in that we are trying to avoid a Black Hawk Down incident, um, but we are negotiating with the Taliban for safe passage. Um, It's kind of nuts. Lastly, I want you to hear what Democrats and and obviously uh, Democrats and left-wingers and entertainers are saying about this, what they've witnessed so far over the last week. There's a serious disconnect between the messaging from the Biden administration. What he was saying just did not match the reality of what some of his other advisors were saying. It seems to me he's a bit insulated or isolated inside the White House. The president does seem adrift from the facts in a lot of ways right now. Uh, The United States has taken a blow to its prestige and credibility around the world. These are, and I can go on for an hour, John Oliver last night uh, ripping him who is a uh, you know, very creative guy, but he's, he, does, he hasn't met a Democrat he doesn't like. And right. he was d- d- ripping him. How much damage is being done? You see in the polls, but he, they believe the Biden, the White House feels this is a news cycle or two. I think it's much more permanent. I agree. I think he, he's not going to be able to just bounce back from this. And um, it's, it's really politically damaging beyond the issue. Uh, because it raises questions about the capacity of uh, the president and and his ability. And I think they're trying to fix that. They're trying to lead in the daily list of things that are going on, his briefing. He's getting briefed. and um, He never left for Wilmington. And I think that was a signal that, you know, he was staying on the issue. But for a while there, he was missing in action uh, for at least two days. And um, you know, allies were raising questions, and I think the White House has a lot of cleanup to do. All right, Brett, we'll watch you tonight at 7. Thanks so much. We'll see you. 
when we come back, Paul Vandenberg joins us, and he is uh, somebody who understands this capital, Albany, and understands Governor Cuomo, knew his dad, and understand what it means. Because today at 12 in a pre-taped, at 12 Eastern, in a pre-taped message, Cuomo will give his final address as governor after 10 years and leave officially tomorrow. And even yesterday, he was given press conferences as if he wasn't disgraced. He is a disgrace. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I also feel very relieved that day is finally here, where he no longer will be in a position of power to abuse women, workers, um, lawmakers, reporters, journalists, you name it. He will, he will, this is a man that was willing to say and do anything to dodge accountability. And to be completely honest, he is leaving Albany um, on a very soft landing. This is a gracious exit. He has not admitted to doing anything wrong, and he gets to leave Albany. That's why I still feel very strongly about continuing the impeachment process so we could get a full account of what he did wrong um, so we don't repeat those mistakes moving forward. Friends today, he's a Democrat, uh, and he fears that when uh, when Governor Cuomo leaves today in about a, a few hours, when he officially leaves the governor's mansion first time in 10 years, he's been aspiring that forever, that he's going to come back again. That's why they want to continue to try to impeach him. With me right now is Paul Vandenberg. And Paul, you, he's the president of Capital, uh, of Capital Broadcasting, also does the morning show and stations he owns on uh, Talk 1300 AM and 98.7 FM. So this is not just for WABC, WRCN, and your listeners. This is for the whole country. Yeah. Is he gone for good? I, uh, yes, I think he's gone for good. I think he's out of here. Um, as I, we were talking earlier off the air, Brian and I, and I think he's void of friends at this point, Brian. And um, he's got a lot of money, but he doesn't have a lot of friends. And I think to, to make a political comeback, he's going to need uh, friends. And I just don't think he has any. Well, I mean, it's a Democrat state. Correct? Correct. So with a name like that and with $18 million in the bank, don't you think he can buy, so-called buy those friends? No. Not, not, no. I think there's a lot of people in front of him at this point. There's a lot of people in front of him, and uh, the, these people are, uh, you know, I, I look at, at people that are like the uh, New York State Controller, and uh, I look at Kirsten Gillibrand. Her name comes up a lot. But Tom DiNapoli's name comes up and others. These are people that are actually trusted around here, especially in Albany. They're trusted. They're people that people like and admire. I don't – Andrew Cuomo just doesn't have a lot of friends. So unlike his dad, do you know his dad? Yeah, I met his father multiple times, yeah. And, and yeah. is he did, – what did his dad think of his son? Did he see the talent in his son? His father felt he was a congenital liar. His father he thought made, his own son was a liar? Yeah, he said that. He told Fred Dicker, who was the state editor for the New York Post, and who did a show with me for over 22 years. Um, Mario Cuomo told him that many, many years ago, that he didn't trust his son, that he felt he was a liar and couldn't believe him and, um, and, and felt that it would, it would affect him long term. Well, now we have a situation where were you astounded, from the Andrew Cuomo you know, were you astounded that he became this national figure, that people were saying he should be the running mate? Man, I wish he was the guy. Yes. 
Yes, he's because he's a bully. How Brian. do these snow people? Yeah, we've we you know we've known him up here for years and years. He's been known as a bully, a guy that people don't get along with. He doesn't get along with people. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, there's a story today that could be a real problem for him. Uh, not a real problem for him because he's done. But there's a story up here today about his dog, and his dog. From from what we're told, he's just going to leave his dog here. In the mansion for Kathy Hochul? Yeah, and somebody else is going to have to take the dog. He's been trying to get rid of the dog. And there's been some tweets already about the dog and get, getting rid of the dog. And, I, I mean, he's going to leave the dog here, it sounds like. He wants somebody to take the dog, and nobody will take the dog. The dog's a nipper. He nips at people. And Cuomo took it. One of the reporters up here tweeted that Cuomo really only brought the dog in as a bit of a prop. And now that he's done, he just wants to get rid of the dog. So let's talk about this guy. Uh the governor, what kind of governor has he been? Well, you can look at some things, and he's been good. Like, if you go back to the origins of his time here, Brian, he was— By the way, we can't thank you enough for coming today. This is really nice uh, no, for nice coming in. I mean, the way you guys bent Oh, over this has been terrific. But when you go back to the origins of, of his time here, you know, there were a couple of things he did. One of the things that he did was he put new uh, steps in for retirement. So there wasn't this uh, phase, there wasn't this tier one, tier two, tier three, where everybody was just getting fat retirements. He put 401k tips, tier five, tier six, where you really had to fund it more. That was a big help. That, that really was a big help. But then he's done other things like the SAFE Act with guns in the state that he got in, he, he shoved through in the middle of the night, things of that nature, which had been just horrible things for New York over time. So there, he's done some good. He's done a lot more bad than good. Uh, okay, let me uh, let me bring th- let me bring this up then. He has uh, well, much more bad than good. But you also talk about a state when it comes to prison, when it comes to criminal justice reform, the the no bail, no cash bail, no cash Is bail. Is there anything more damaging than you've seen? No, this has been really really bad for him. Very very bad for him. He's been a leader here. You know, having a democratic legislature is right. a bit of a problem. Also, I understand. Now, it sounds does it sound like I'm off mic to you? So uh, we're just making sure we, we have the logistics. All right. Um, so a couple other things. He leaves. Kathy Hochul? Mm-hmm. She comes in next. She comes in next. There's a lot of people on Long Island who think that uh, Congressman Zeldin has a legitimate shot for a Republican. And before you say no, tell me if this is school of thought. He really did win in a purple district in Suffolk County. Yes. He is very well known. He does yes. have the military background. Yes. You're a legitimate Trump supporter. Yep. And he has made inroads in the New York City Jewish community. Okay. Have anything I said wrong? Uh, no. Uh, it's all right, but there's a lot of complaints up here about Zeldin. A lot of people up here want to see a much more conservative brand of governor. And they they don't feel as though, at least callers to this station, don't feel as though they've really seen that yet with him, that they don't think he's been all that strong. But if you're too conservative, you'll never get anybody in the city. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. That's a problem for him. That's why he's got to try to straddle here and try to be nice to the people in the city at the same time, be more conservative to the people upstate. It's really hard for a Republican to run in New York. Tell me from the outside, to not have fracking in New York City, what would it have done to these communities, these small towns? Spectacular. It would have been spectacular, Brian. It passed I, all the environmental studies. So many jobs. But, you know, Andy started to get the phone calls from Bobby Kennedy, from uh, some of his actor friends, and they were all complaining about the idea that, that this was not good for the state. And he fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. He, he let everybody down the road that he was going to do it, and then at the end, he pulled the plug.
and, and all these communities were starting to build up. There was that, yep. that Pennsylvania, Ohio excitement. There was. There was. And the revitalization. Yep, yep. There what was. could New York State do to revitalize like Saratoga has? It's, well, New York State has, uh, well, you got to lower taxes. You, from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.